Two weeks ago, you will, if you remember, I started a sermon series based on the verse that we find in Isaiah that is really promoted at this time of year. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This prophecy, Isaiah tells of this child that will come will be special. More than that, this child will be unique. Even though this prophecy of the coming Christ was given hundreds of years before his birth, for us lucky ones that are on the other side of the fence, we know wholeheartedly that he was speaking about Jesus Christ. And it describes Jesus' life and mission so well. We've seen how the beauty of this passage becomes greater when we realise the background in which Isaiah wrote it. The time was one of utter darkness. The people were trapped in a land of injustice. The government was corrupt. The judges were corrupt. And even the priests were corrupt. Worse, their enemies were growing stronger all around them while the nation was growing weaker. It was a time of worry and injustice. The people had turned from God and were discovering that they had turned to hopelessness. But out of this promise, Isaiah said, there is one who is coming. There will be one who will be born to you and it will change everything. So far, we've covered wonderful counsellor. Wonderful in the Old Testament is, was a word that was reserved for things only by God. It wasn't a word that they threw around lightly. Jesus, as our wonderful counsellor, is not just someone who gives advice or listens well. It's someone that knows you intimately. Jesus is the wonderful counsellor who can direct and reveal the help we need in ways like no one else can. Last week, we covered Mighty God. And we said that this was all about that this coming baby will be one who is mighty to save. He is the one who gave himself the mission of saving us. Today, we look at the next one of Everlasting Father. I mentioned last week how I often struggled with Jesus given the title of Mighty God. I'm not sure how you go with this one, but to tell you the truth, I struggle even more when it comes to using this term everlasting father for Jesus. Of all the names attributed to Jesus in Isaiah 9.6, everlasting father intrigues me the most because it was the one I always understood least. Sure, Jesus being everlasting, that's easy to grasp, easy to understand. Our teachers, our scripture teaches that Jesus is everlasting. He was there in the beginning. He was involved in the creation of all things. In fact, nothing exists that he did not create. Scripture also tells us that he is the Lord of our future. I know that Christ will and now live forever. And I know that he will come back and reign supreme. He will be King of Kings and Lord of Lords for all eternity. And often when people talk about Jesus being everlasting, they often quote Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So I don't struggle by giving the Jesus that word everlasting. It's the next word. The next word that brings the confusion. The word father. Everlasting father. Have you ever stopped to think what is Isaiah saying? I've always struggled with this, and here's the reason. There are three persons in the Trinity. There's God the Father, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, three persons, yet one God. How can Jesus the Messiah, the second person of the Godhead, be called Everlasting Father, the first person of the Godhead? Is Isaiah denying the Trinity by calling Jesus the Father? Or is he just confusing what's happening? Now, I know it's impossible for us to understand or explain the Trinity. Don't you dare come to me with water, gas or eggs and yolk. You try and explain the Trinity, you're doing nothing but a heresy. But if I call Jesus our eternal Father, it creates a dilemma in my mind because we already have God the Father. The Bible is clear. There is one Father in the Godhead. There is one Father in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus the Son is not the Father. The Father is the Father. I mean, didn't Jesus himself say he came to reveal the Father? There lays the trouble in my mind. I don't know if you just read over it and have never really thought about it, but what on earth? How can Jesus be an everlasting Father? Have they confused you when you read these words? So, why does Isaiah call him this baby that's going to come Everlasting Father. Well, I've done some study and I've done looked at different things and I don't promise to come up with anything new today, but I've come up with something that helped put this silly little brain at ease. But before I continue and look at this passage in more detail, let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for the truth of your word. Your word never contradicts itself. And Father, I thank you that we can come and understand things at a greater level. Lord, I pray that you'll prepare our hearts to go away today with encouragement of what Isaiah was really meaning in these words, everlasting Father. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are our everlasting Father. And we thank you that we can come together today, celebrate that, remember that, and learn about that. Holy Spirit, guide our conversations and prepare our hearts for that which you want to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start off with the Trinity. Every person I read, every com commentary I went to, said that there's one thing we must understand when we read Isaiah 9, chapter, Isaiah 9 verse 6, and it is this. Neither Trinitarian or anti-Trinitarian concerns are being discussed in Isaiah 9, 6. This, in this verse, Isaiah is not giving us a statement or a truth or something about the Trinity. Isaiah isn't teaching us that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the same person as God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. This text has no bearing upon the position and titles of the three persons in the Trinity with regards to each other. Most scholars say, it's not the Messiah's role within the Godhead that Isaiah is teaching about here. Isaiah doesn't even have the Trinity in mind when he calls this promised child everlasting father. What is it all about? It was the Messiah's character towards those who read it that Isaiah had in mind. Isaiah is teaching a major character of this coming baby will be a loving father. So this verse does not indicate the relationship of Jesus to the Trinity itself. What it does indicate is the relationship of this baby will have to those who read it back then and today. What relationship, what character? That of a loving father. 
So that's the Trinity argument taken care of. But now there's one thing we need to think about. If Isaiah is really wanting to say a great purpose and a great character of this child will be everlasting father, well, we all have different images of our fathers that go through our head. There are people that have godly fathers, good memories, where others have bad. So I guess you understand, to help us understand the relationship and the character that Isaiah is wanting us to know about, we must understand the meaning of this word, everlasting father. In the Hebrew, the phrase is literally the father of eternity. The Hebrew word eternity has the emphasis of forward looking. It carries the idea of timelessness without end. That's why most scholars say our English word everlasting is probably a better translation for us than internal. As the everlasting father, this Messiah will be father to all. But more than that, he will be a father without end. That's why some of the early translation of this Bible gave the title Everlasting Father, the father of the future age. Isaiah is speaking of a child who will be born some 700 years in the future. Yet by using this term, he makes something very clear. By calling him the father of eternity, it describes one of these babies' great characters and purpose in being born. This child will have the character and purpose to be like a father to all his people. All that a good father is, he will be to his people. More than that, he will be them everlasting father. His fatherhood will last forever. He will be a good father for all time. He is father forever. He is the everlasting good fatherhood of God. When I understand Christ's title of everlasting father in that sense, it's much less puzzling for me and much less uncomfortable for me calling Jesus my everlasting father because he is fatherly. Jesus is fatherlike in his treatment of us. I mentioned the Hebrew words before. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. But have you ever stopped to think what that verse is really all about? Because Jesus does change. His appearances aren't the same yesterday, today and forever. His positions aren't the same as yesterday, today and forever. So how can this writer of Hebrews say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever? What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about his nature never changes. His nature is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so with that in mind, I want to look at three qualities of Jesus that shows us how he is our everlasting father. And the good thing is these qualities never change. They are the same yesterday, today and forever. And the first one is what Isaiah 9, 6 is all about. And it is this. Christ's character as a father does not change. This is good news because remember, it is the character of the Messiah that Isaiah is promising. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. These are the characters, these are the purposes of this child that is going to be born 700 years later. Well, all those characters will be the same true today as they were back in Isaiah's day. How do we know? Because Jesus being part of the Trinity means 
that he definitely is part of the Godhead. Just being God, part of the Godhead means that his character in Jesus does not change. His character as a father does not change. His mercy, his love, his grace, his forgiveness do not change. They are the same yesterday, today and forever. You can be sure from the rising of the sun of a new day to the setting of the sun at the end of the day, Jesus' character does not change. I mentioned last week how one of the stories that I turn to time and time again, and a lot of people do, it's one of the favourites, is the story of the prodigal son. Like many, I love the parable Jesus spoke about regarding the prodigal son. Now, I know it's just a story, but the parable, I said, is full of these little gems that as I'm reading it and rereading it, I, I think of these weird little things. It has so many aspects of this story that I find amazing. The son goes off into a far country and squanders all his money. And when he had no friends and no money and he's, in, and he's there in a pig pen, his thought comes to his head. I will set out and I'll go back to my father. So here he is in the most humiliating place for a Jewish boy could possibly be, yet he starts to think, I will go home to my dad. This thought staggers me. I mean, after all he had done, after all he had said to his dad, after all he had been through, what little part in his brain would give him the idea that he would even be welcome back home even as a servant? I mean, I know if it was my thoughts and I'm just thinking about my dad, <laughs> I'd be thinking, don't go there. It's not worth it. But this son thinks, nah, I'm at the bottom. I've done all this wrong. I'm going to go home to dad. How could he think such thoughts? Well, here's what I think Jesus' point is with this parable. The son came to that thought and decided to act on that thought because of one reason. He decided to go home because he knew the character of his father. The parable is more about the father than the son. This boy knew it was no good going back to his friends because their character was, once the money's gone, so are we. The boy knew it was no good staying with the employer because his character was, I'm going to treat you badly and harshly. This boy knew that the best help he could get in this situation was to go home to dad. But think of this. How did he know he'd be welcomed? The answer, he knew what kind of dad he had. He knew the character of his father. He knew the character of the father and it would not change from the time when he left to the time he came back. For sure, the relationship with his dad may never be the same again because of his actions, but he knew the character of his father was consistent. He knew that the father had always been full of forgiveness and always will be. He knew that his father had always been full of mercy and always will be. He knew that his father had always been full of love and you guessed it, always will be. He knew that this relationship with his father had changed, but he also knew that his father had shown mercy, loving kindness in the past. And so he knew that when he come home, he would hope that the dad would continue that. You know, the beautiful part of this for me is this. Our eternal father always leaves the door open for us to come home again. No matter how far you've roamed, no matter how far you've gone, 
Jesus is waiting to throw his arms around you to assure you of his character doesn't change. His character as a loving father is still there. If God has shown mercy, love and kindness to you before, then guess what? You can be assured that he will do it again and again and again. The character of Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. The next one, his compassion as a father does not change. People have often said one of the greatest things we have to offer as humans is compassion. Or another one is this, the world would truly be a different place if people had compassion. Again, I went to the dictionary and I looked up this word compassion. It means suffering with another, a painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or discomfort of others. Compassion is a mixture of passion compounded with love and sorrow. We have many examples throughout the Gospels where we find Jesus full of compassion. Many people come to him with their hurts. Many people come to him with their pains, some at inappropriate times. But he didn't do the normal thing that we would probably do in times of inconvenience and tell him to go away or go and see someone else or go and seek out this. He was moved with compassion. Even the story of the prodigal son, when the son decided to go home, he had a plan. He will go and say to his dad, I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I know if this was me, as I said, I wouldn't be doing that. But if I did go home, I would go home with a plan. And he did. I am sure he would have practised that speech every step of the way home. Dad, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. Make me someone like you, hide me. I'd want to make sure I had it down pat by the time I got home. But notice what Jesus points out. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, that word again, compassion. His father was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. Because the father was filled with compassion when he saw his son, it changed the whole situation. It changed the ending. It changed the whole story. The son didn't get a chance to blurt out his speech that he'd been practising. Because the father was filled with compassion, he had run to him and expressed his love to the son in a way that went beyond his own understanding of his father. Because the father was filled with compassion when he saw his son, it changed the whole scenario. The son got a whole new story. Compassion became his motivation for his movement. Compassion made him get up and run to his son. When Jesus sees us in times of distress, I want to assure you he has compassion. He has compassion for us and he has compassion on us. When he sees the mess we've made of our lives, he's moved with compassion. When life has been hard, when we've been dealt a bad hand, when disaster after disaster follows us around like a puppy, when the whole world seems to be falling in around us, Jesus is moved with compassion. The compassion of Jesus moves him to run and rescue us. The compassion of Jesus compels him to run and change our story. His compassion 
as a father never changes. Good thing too, because we live in a world where we get hurt. People hurt us. Things hurt us. We live in a hurtful world. We live in a world where we can get broken, scratched and dinged up. We get physically and emotionally dented and we get physically and emotionally abused. We can have broken bones, broken relationships and broken hearts. That's the world in which we live in. But we're not alone. We have one who is moved with compassion because of where we are. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the song by Scott Wisely Brown, He Will Carry You. It was big in the 80s. I'm an 80s boy. But this song affirms the compassion of our eternal Father has for us. These are the words of the song. There is no problem too big, he cannot solve it. There is no mountain too tall, he cannot move it. There's no storm too dark, he cannot calm it. There's no sorrow too deep, he cannot soothe it. If he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know, my brother, that he will carry you. If he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know, my sister, he will carry you. He said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I'm not sure about you, but I, I used to listen to that song. But I'm glad in this life that there is one who's moved because of my suffering. I'm glad there is one who has compassion for me. I'm glad there is one who is moved with compassion because he loves me. And that one is our everlasting father, the father heart of God that Jesus has inside him. So Christ's character and compassion as a father does not change. They are the same yesterday, today and forever. And now for the final one. Christ's commitment as a father to you does not change. In this last point, we have two very important words in that statement. The words are commitment and father. Commitment is a word that has us doing something. Some commitments are short. If you commit to picking up this lady, then you only have to go five minutes down the road, pick her up and bring her to church. If you offer to cook someone a meal, that's a commitment, but it's short. You sign a mortgage, chances are that's not short. Most mortgages now are averaging about 20 to 30 years. That's a long commitment. The term father means different things for a lot of people. And just as the word father can provoke different feelings and emotions in people, everyone's experience with their earthly father is different. I've heard the testimony of many people who've mentioned the commitment and input into their lives by godly fathers, those that have had a positive influence on their life. While I've also heard some very sad stories where they say their fathers had no commitment to them at all, no input at all. Some have had fathers who turned their back on them, even as children. You may have had a bad experience with your earthly father. You may have had a very good one. But let me assure you of this. Because of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, everyone can experience a committed and loving dad in this everlasting father. Our everlasting father, Jesus, is committed to us. As I said at the start, the key word in this title is everlasting. God came to this earth so he could know us, be with us, not just for a short time, but for a long time. 
The commitment's not a five-minute trip down the road to pick us up. The commitment is like signing 10 mortgages. It is for eternity. It is for your lifetime. Isaiah's promise is this. The everlasting Father isn't there for us during one period of time. He is there for all time. He is the Father of eternity. The promise is that for all generations, from the time of Isaiah to eternity, Jesus will be part of your life. Jesus will be committed to being with you as a loving father. What does everlasting mean? It means forever. When this term is applied to Jesus, is it always a declaration of his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his goodness, his love and his mercy? God has promised to commit himself to you. I love another verse from Isaiah, and it's this one. Isaiah 63, 17, But you, our Father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel or Israel acknowledge us, our Lord, our Father, our Redeemer, form your old in your name. In our scripture, we have many verses like this one that promises the Father wants to be with us. But look at this verse closely for a minute. Do you know what the prophet Isaiah claims here? Abraham and Israel don't acknowledge God as their father. They're not acknowledging God as their father. Well, the prophet is writing to people who turn their back on God, a people who are not doing what their ancestors had done. But Isaiah was promising something else, and it was this. Even though as people that turned their back on God, God didn't and won't turn his back on them. He will still be their father. He will still be the one who is committed to them. This is the same promise we have in Jesus as our everlasting father. Through Jesus, that commitment never changes. It is eternal. He is here for us all. He is here for you and me, and he always will be. It never changes. His commitment as a father will always be there. In ancient times, the father of a nation was viewed in much the same way as the father of a family. It was the father who was to protect and provide for his children. In the same way, this child to be born will welcome a king who will be father to the children of Israel. He will protect and provide for them. And his role as protector and provider will not be limited by ageing or death. His role as a father, protector and provider will continue for all time. That's Isaiah's promise. The full identity of the Messiah is not revealed in Isaiah's prophecy. In fact, as I said, these people will have to wait almost 700 years to see the Messiah in the fullness of time. We on the other side of the fence, though, are different. We know that Isaiah is writing about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. He is God in flesh. And everlasting Father, he still protects us and provides for us. By his death and resurrection, we are grafted in and become part of the family of God. He will not abandon us. He hasn't in the past and he won't in the future. If you struggle to see the goodness of God in your life, remember his character as a father does not change. His compassion as a father does not change. 
his commitment to you as a father does not change. Trust him, worship him, commit yourself to him afresh, not just today, but every day, and see where he takes you and who he brings into your life. May God bless you.